Good morning, everyone. Glad to be with you in studying in what has been an encouraging month of focus on the gospel and our families and how the gospel forms our families. And this morning, um, whereas last week, maybe not everybody in the room could relate to a message on being a husband and a wife. I know that there were probably many middle schoolers doodling during that bit of sermon stretch, and we're really thankful for Jake and what he preached. I found it very relevant and helpful. If you've not listened to that, you might want to go back and catch up and do so. Um, But no matter what the subject is, we should find great eagerness arising in our hearts whenever God speaks to lean in, no matter what it is. Because in that, we find the wisdom of Christ for us in a good season and in due time. Now this morning, I think each of us can relate because everybody in this room, whereas you may not have been married yet or may not be married now, each of you has been a kid at one point or another. And many of you, even though adults, still have parents that you relate to. And there are some kids in the room this morning. And we will get to counsel for both kids and parents as we go through the morning. But first, you know, an article came out like a year ago that I just keep going back to because it is inspiring, it's helpful to me, and I want to share it with you. It begins this way, Park City, Utah, local dad Adam Major has been praying fervently that one day, some way, somehow, that he will be as good of a dad as the dad from Bluey, Bandit Healer. (laughs) According to his wife, Sarah Grace, Adam's prayers seem to be bearing fruit already. She spotted him making the girls giggle uncontrollably, playing with them as if they were oversized musical instruments, and pretending to be controlled by them as they waved a spatula. And at publishing time, Adam was spotted in the backyard trying to tame his left arm, which had just transformed into an unruly rooster that kept trying to eat the girls' shoes. Okay, that's not an actual news story. Right, this guy is not praying to Bluey's dad. But if you ever watched the kids' show Bluey, you know, I, I found that when our kids have it on, I'm mesmerized, looking at what seems to be a perfect family of dogs. And if you've not seen it, it's pretty, fairly wholesome. You could leave it on. You might even find yourselves watching it long after the kids have left the room. But as I thought about this, and we can get that guy off there. That's fine. We can go on to the next slide. <laughs> you may not find pressure from Bluey's dad to be a better parent or more fun parent. And if you don't even know who Bluey is this morning, maybe for you it's having, you know, an influence of somebody else that you've heard speak at a conference somewhere about parenting. And really the, the policies they lay out, for them maybe they say, has worked to produce a perfect home. Maybe for you it's somebody in your own family Whereas you struggle to keep one thing done in your home when there's a billion things going on, seems like there's somebody else in your home that's organized and has everything all together, all the chores done by 9 a.m. so that they can focus on discipling their children from that point on throughout the day. And to be honest, there's no end to the parenting books that are available to us. If you want to know how to be a parent, I mean, just go on Amazon and type... Christian parenting, and you'll see thousands, if not more, results come up that span decades now. 
and even a century or more. There, there's no end to the advice that we can get. And what I hope this morning is to cut through so much of that and to just put it aside and to focus on four verses in the Bible, four verses that cut through so much of the pressure we might feel as kids and as parents. And I hope to bring you a little bit closer together as families this morning, giving you hope and counsel from God's word. So when we speak to one another, we will reflect the values that God has instilled in his will for us. Whether you find yourself as a young kid or a grown kid, or find yourself as a parent of kids this morning, I know that there's hope for you in this passage. And it basically works this way. We're looking at counsel for kids and counsel for parents. And I think that covers just about everyone in the room. So let's dig into it now. Let's look at counsel for children. And I left it this way, counsel for kids or counsel for children that helps us to see what God's will is for the kids in the room. Look at verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, let's begin with this. Who are the children being addressed in this chapter? Well, the Greek word is technon. And I think for you kids, that's a pretty cool word to be called. It's kind of like techie, if you can remember that. It has nothing to do with that. But the word technon, it refers to a child who is in the household who has yet not graduated in maturity or responsibility to be free of the mom and dad's influence and authority. All right, so in our culture and time, you know, your time as a technon typically ends around 18 when you launch out on your own. However, as I said at the beginning, each of us have in the room, even if we are adults, maybe you still have one or both of your parents still living. And while we, after the age of 18 especially, are not obligated to obey our parents, the command to honor them never goes away. And so I hope that we can dig into this a little bit more this morning. And especially in our culture that is very individualistic, it actually might seem countercultural to in emphasize the influence of parents to children and children and their responsibility to parents in a way that the world that watches us might feel is a little disjointed or out of step with what their agenda is. But if we continue to see the scripture here and what it lays out, I think by the time we end, you'll see that kids have responsibilities to their parents and parents to the kids that contribute to a beautiful home life that should be the envy of those who watch. And I want to encourage you that words like obey, honor, discipline, and instruction are not bad words, but are life-giving. Right, the first counsel that kids receive is to obey your parents. What does it mean to obey? I think you know, right? You kids who are here should know that it means to listen to what your mom and dad say 
and to do it. Two parts, really, listening and doing. It's all about accepting that they have authority in your home. Your mom and dad have authority in the home. And mom and dads, I don't think it's wrong for you to admit that you have authority in the home. And you shouldn't do it this way. You shouldn't say, I'm in charge here. Or how do you think you got the stuff that you've got? That's actually going to contribute to what we learn exasperates our kids when we say things like that. You know, like, we don't come up after them with authority that is over the top or demeaning. But it's an authority that is instructive and leads to the discipline or overall formation of the kids that God has entrusted to us. We are called to lovingly institute authority, and our children are required by God to submissively come back and obey in the home. This is very countercultural, but it, it's ancient as well as helpful for us moderns. Listen to what the author of Proverbs said in Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Right? That language may be a little bit strange, but this is what it's describing. It's, it's what we parents often do to our kids. We often ask them, are you listening to me? Did you hear what I said? Right? The author of the Proverbs is speaking to his children and saying, hear what your dad has to say. Listen to your mom. Right? That, that assurance that we get that kids are listening to us helps us to know that we have their attention and we may also have their heart. When they do, when you kids obey your mom and dad, we're actually told that it's beautiful. It's like hanging a little crown on your head. It's like putting a beautiful necklace around you. Especially you girls might appreciate that comparison, that picture. That's what obedience is like when it's done well. And I admit, though, that obedience is tough. You know, there's sometimes that we parents really don't seem to make much sense. And there's other times when you might think that your mom and dad just don't get you. But the reality is, God commands you to do this. Jesus commands you to do this, and he gives you some help. First of all, he says, for this is right. That's what the text says. And I'm taking that first because when the Apostle Paul stops writing his letter to the church at large, and he focuses on the children in Ephesus, we've got to realize that that is a gracious inclusion. Never before in the history of people do you see children having a status among the adults. And this is what you should recognize from the Bible. The Bible sees kids and sees you kids as important to the life of the church so important that he actually addresses you directly. And this is what he wants you to take away. He says, obeying your parents is the right thing to do. It's kind of a way of saying it just makes sense. And not obeying your parents is crazy. Literally crazy. When things work out and you obey your mom and dad, it really helps to contribute to a happy home life, it helps your life to be easier. 
It helps their lives to be better. And it helps you to grow up and to be ready to follow instruction in other places. You know, when you grow up, you're going to have jobs someday, God willing. You're going to have kids of your own. And this pattern of having authority from God and talking to other people will be a part of your life in other ways someday. It continues as we grow older. And it is the right thing to do. But I also want you to see another motivation here. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this is a gospel motivation, a gospel motivation. This is higher. This isn't just a matter of, well, it just makes sense, and to not do it would be crazy. In this case, we're taking it a step higher and saying, well, it actually is a way to elevate this call to obey to an importance beyond just mere feeling right or doing right. The ultimate reason is not because your mom and dad are in charge. The ultimate reason you obey is not because you feel like it. The ultimate reason that you obey is because Jesus commands you to. And you can have confidence that Jesus has spoken to you kids, and he has told you to obey your parents. Now, it is difficult at times to obey your parents, and I know that. As a dad, I know that I can say things that in a moment might, in my mind, be the best thing for my kids to do, but if I would really stop and think it through, it may not be the best thing for them. I can make mistakes. Your mom and dad can make mistakes, and if your parents here today, you have made mistakes. Everybody here has had their parents make mistakes and make the wrong call and call you to obey at a time when perhaps it wasn't necessary. It wasn't something God required, but they required it, and you did it, but it may not have been as helpful for you. But there's a different category here that will help those who are in this church, and especially those of us who see kids in this category so that we can help them. Sometimes there are kids who don't have Christian parents. You see, Paul is assuming that this is a church full of people and that there are people with kids and that these kids are growing up in at least a family with one Christian. But there are certainly people that lived in this time and in this time now, the time of Ephesus and the time of now, where there are not Christian parents in the home, but maybe the kids have become Christians. Now, the counsel that comes to you kids in that case, if your parents would tell you something, if they would give you an order to sin, whether they tell you to go to a place that you know would be sinful, or they tell you to watch something or to do something that you know would be sinful, or if they would forbid you from worshiping the Lord, or forbid you from praying in the name of Jesus. When this council says, obey your parents in the Lord, this means that your highest priority and the person that you must obey no matter what is Jesus Christ. Sometimes even your mom and dad won't get things right. But let me say this. If you're in a, a Christian home where you just don't like what your mom and dad says, you don't get to say to them, I'm obeying Jesus, not you. That's not what I'm saying, all right? 
What this means for us who are in the church is that we need to have eyes out for kids who are in hard, at-risk situations. And we need to be sensitive to what their home life is like. Maybe through our Awana program, you're getting to meet some kids who are in that circumstance through middle or high school ministry. And you're seeing that they come, they're being exposed to the things of God, but they might find in the course of getting to know them, you might find out that their, their mom or their dad are not Christians and are actually opposed to them um, growing in the things of the Lord. It requires great wisdom to help them know how to have a heart of obedience towards their parents and yet still know the freedom that comes from obeying in the Lord. These are things that require wisdom. And there are things that require people in the church working together hand in hand to encourage these kinds of kids. Have an eye out for them. Look for them. Be ready to help them. Well, the second command that God gives you to figure out the best way to obey your parents is really concerning not just your actions, but your attitude. And the second thing that he says is to honor your father and your mother. Honor, there in verse 2, means to show respect. And to treat someone not according to what they deserve or how you feel about them, but according to the dignity of their position. Now think for a moment about our current president and our past president. If you put the two of those guys together, I'm sure just about everybody in the room would feel kind of mad if you think about them in one way or another. If you went up to them and got to meet either one of those gentlemen and pick the one maybe that you like the least, you could go up to that person. The wrong thing to do would be to spit at him and to kick him in the shin. That would be wrong. If you instead would look him in the eye, shake his hand, and say, it's good to meet you, Mr. President. I'm praying for you. And mean it and really be praying for him. That would be the right thing to do. Why? Because the Bible tells us to honor those who are in authority. And honor is not about treating people with respect because you like them or treating them with respect because they do things that are good for you. But treating them with respect because of the position that they are in, so that hopefully they will live up to the dignity of that position. Same could be true for a dad and a mom. One thing I shared a couple of weeks ago in the auditorium was about the wonder of spiritual adoption. How when we come to God as Father, we are adopted into his family, and our name is changed so that we belong to him. I shared how my own personal adoption into the Kappel family by my maternal grandparents helped me to connect those things in the spiritual life to my own life. You know, as my name changed from Keith to Kappel, and as I got into the Kappel family and was able to take advantage of all the things that they had prepared for me, I could see how God is so gracious in what he's done. One thing that did not change, however, was that I still had a mother who lived fairly close to me who had actually given birth to me. She had left when I was very young. She had remarried and had a bunch of other kids. And it, it happened throughout the course of our life that it made sense for me to live with my grandparents where they could care for me. And my mother had um, some difficulties and a, a rocky life as she continued to make some choices. So 
what would I choose to do there? You know, at times I, I admit that I felt conflicted between these two worlds, one into which I was born and the other into which I had been adopted. That's often the case I find for kids who have been adopted. But here's what I found that God helped me to do over time as he taught me about honoring my mom and dad. At least my mom was there. My dad had left, and to this day, I really don't have a relationship with or know him. But honoring in this circumstance means this. We are ready to step in and to treat someone. We are ready to treat our parents with respect, not according to the deep relationship that we may feel at the moment, but because God has positioned us with them. And God has given them a responsibility. In this case, you know, I thought when I was very young that my mom gave birth to me. She cared for me when I was very vulnerable. And at a time when she was not able to care for me, gave me to my grandparents so that they would watch me and that they could continue to protect and take care of me. And when I relate to my mom now, my birth mom, I don't have a long history of childhood and discipline and instruction from her. But I do have a relationship because God, by his grace, through the honoring that he convicted me to give to my mom, has helped us to have a relationship even now, where she's been involved in many of the milestones of my life, from my college graduation, to my wedding, to even my ordination nine years ago here at West Park. We have to make choices to take a step out. And maybe you adult, kids here who feel a bit estranged from your own mom or dad. It could be that honoring is the ticket that will help you to restore what might feel broken right now. You are only responsible as a kid to go as far as you can go. And for a kid, you are commanded by God to honor those who he has positioned as mom and dad over you. You can't be a dad or you can't be a dad or mom to your dad or mom, but you can honor them, and you can help them to know, hey, God has given you to me. I do care about you and love you. And even when things are hard, that can go a really long way. Let's dig into this a little bit more. When Paul says that this is the first commandment with a promise, he's referring to the Ten Commandments. This is the fifth commandment back in Exodus chapter 20. It's at the top of the list of commands to us humans that guide how we interact with one another and how we can thrive in a relationship with God and with each other. It's the first commandment in the list of all the commandments, the six commandments, that relate to how I as a person relate to other people or how you relate to one another. It's at the top. This is a huge priority for God for parents and kids to have a thriving relationship because it is the bedrock of society. You know, the Old Testament ends with a unique theme. It actually ends with God saying, if you parents and you kids don't receive my counsel and actually work things out in your relationship, then I'm going to come and smite the earth with a curse. That's a pretty heavy word. It comes from Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's heavy. What we see is from Exodus 20 to Malachi 4 is the reality that God puts at the top of his priority list in human relationships the relationship between families to one another. We could lump in their husband and wife, but especially the mom and dad to the kids. It's crucial, God says, that we follow his plan and that in our families, the mom and dad lovingly lead and the kids in submission turn to obey and honor those parents. Romans chapter 1 actually includes disobedience to parents in a list of some of the worst sins that we can do as humans. Verse 30 says, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's a list of the sins that emerge when people have turned away from the true God to things that are here on earth to satisfy them. It's amazing that disobedience to parents which we might in our culture think is no big deal, is right in there in the midst of some of the worst sins. There's something very unnatural about disobedient children. And when submission in households is missing or breaks down, cities, states, and governments are quick to follow. Kids, this is why Paul says, you making the decision to obey and honor your parents actually is a way to make life go well with you. The other expression we need to understand is that you may live long in the land. Right? This is the promise that came along with this command back in Exodus 20. And the promise was, right, if you obey your mom and dad, you'll get to go into the promised land someday and live out a long life in the land. We don't have a land that's promised to us in the physical sense now. But Paul's inclusion of this is still helping us in two ways to be motivated. As we honor our mom and dad, as we give them respect, as we treat them not according to how they deserve or how they've earned respect, we, we are in one way sowing seeds into them that may help them to see the reality beyond this life. One of the things that those in Exodus 20 were convinced of is that the desert they were wandering around in was not their final destination. There was a promised land coming up. And in our human relationships, one thing that often is missing is the conviction that even our human relationships and our earthly lives are not the final destination. We are heading somewhere someday, and that fulfillment of God's promises to us will eventually end in the fulfilling life of eternity. And it's possible that even through our honoring of our parents, and I think of some of us as adults who have had parents come to know Christ later in life. Many times I've heard stories of how adults, to their adult parents who are unsaved, have lived a life of honoring them, of loving them. And that has in turn turned the heart of the mom or dad to Christ. So that even in the final days, they repent and are welcomed into that land, into eternity. 
What we're dealing with and the responsibilities that come with it are concerning eternity and the destinations of people beyond this life alone. And it's amazing that kids can even inspire their parents through their decision to honor and obey. How can you practically honor your parents? It's a couple things. Don't hide things from them, okay? Don't hide things from your parents. I think we're in a culture right now where kids, whether it's in school or other places, are, are actually encouraged not to tell their parents about some of the things they're feeling or things that they want to experience. And that's a shame because if there's one thing that I've learned in this text, again, is that if there's a breakdown between the parents and the children, society will quickly unravel. Kids, share things with your mom and dad. I think generally what I know about the parents who are here at West Park and those of you who are growing as parents with very young kids, here's what I would encourage you to do. Here's what I see in many of the families. We need to create safe spaces where we can talk about things. We need to create areas where our kids know and times where they can come and talk to us, where they can have confidence that we care about them, where they know that no matter what happens, we love them and support them, and that we will be there for them. Kids need that assurance. And I would say this, you know, kids, check in with mom and dad before you make big life-altering decisions. I can remember a time when I was 18, I was at college, and I started out in a, in a writing major, convinced that I was going to be a journalist or something. It shows you how much 18-year-olds know. Um, I changed my major to a ministry focus, but I didn't bother to tell my dad. In the back of my mind, I thought, eh, dad's probably going to think that this is very impractical. I didn't take a minute to stop that being a journalist was probably impractical as well. Maybe you would think that this isn't fruitful. I'm making a decision that will be, you know, just, you know, not, not very helpful life-altering course. And so at Christmas time, after I had made that decision in the registrar's office and I changed my major, I went home. And I can remember my dad sat down at the kitchen table with me. It's a small kitchen table. So we were very close. And he said, son, I, I heard that you changed your major. And I said, yeah, I did. He said, why didn't you tell me? And I said, you know, Dad, I just maybe had the wrong understanding of what you were looking for or what you were expecting. I thought maybe you wouldn't be, you, maybe you would be ashamed of me or think I was making a dumb choice. I was very immature, not even certain I was a believer, even pursuing a ministry major at the time, friends. But I'll never forget what my dad said to me. He said, son, I am... I'm not sad that you've changed your major. I think if that's the way the Lord's directing you, that he's going to help you, and that's going to be right for you. But it, it hurt that you didn't bring me into this decision-making process and at least help me to be a part of it in your life. You know, that's one of the biggest regrets I have. That and also backing dad's car into his table saw when I was 13. Right? There are some things I did that just didn't go well in our household. But my dad was gracious to me. That's a story for another time. He was gracious to me, and he taught me, man, it is right, it is right 
to honor my parents, even if I may not think they understand me or my motives, even if I think they may have a different opinion, it's helpful to honor them by bringing them into the process of making big decisions. All right, well, I want to turn to parents, and we need to do this. I've spent a lot of time on kids, and I think I've counseled some of you parents in the meantime there as well. But here's the counsel for us as parents. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 4 is addressed to fathers, and the Greek word is pateris, which means fathers. Dads, get this, are the primary source for discipline and instruction for their kids. I think a lot of times if we dudes just work and come home and expect everything to work out, and we have just a minimal interaction with our kids, we're missing the big picture. The big picture is that we as dads are responsible, primarily responsible, for the discipline and instruction of the kids. That does not mean that mothers are uninvolved or unimportant. Usually, they're the ones who, even at the earliest stages especially, are right there front and center with the kids, pouring into them. And what this requires is a lot of communication between husband and wife, a lot of cooperation. And I think, especially like in my marriage, I can very much trust my wife to do things that I'm not even needing to know about while I'm at home. But often what I find is there are things that happen at home that when I get home, she brings me into it, and I need to help make a decision. I need to do something that perhaps she feels a bit stuck in, or rightly so, she wants me to be connected and involved. So dads, I would view this verse and Paul's direct addressing to you as an important call to be involved, to be connected, to enter into family life with a willingness to lead and a readiness to learn from your wife, who's doing a lot of work, no doubt, to help you and to work together in these two areas that we learn about. The first is a negative. It says, do not provoke your children to anger. In the NIV, it says, do not exasperate your children. And there's two you know, complementary senses here. You know, when I think of an exasperated kid, they're usually just spread out on the floor and hands and feet kicking. That's at the earliest ages. Then in the middle school or the upper elementary years, it kind of calms down maybe a little bit. And then maybe in the teen years, they start to kick and scream on the floor again, right? I don't know. Teenagers, maybe. I don't have any older teenagers yet. You might feel like I've very grossly misrepresented you there, and you can correct me afterwards. But this is what it says. Don't exasperate your children. I think even now, parents, you can remember times with me when you have spoken harshly to your kids, maybe ridiculing them, maybe even calling them names, belittling them as if they were younger than their biological age, yelling at them in anger. I know you know these types of situations. It can start with a simple command to go clean your room. And you could even say it nicer than I did just then. Go clean your room. You would think it would be a simple instruction, but the aftermath of that one command can border on World War III in some of our homes. Whether you are dealing with a toddler who yells at you and throws something at you, 
or an older teen who screams at you and slams the door in your face. You have a tendency at times to lose it. Paul begins his instruction to us parents, reminding us that our anger does not achieve anything righteous or helpful. Our anger toward our kids can actually cause them to live out their own anger and further cement their hearts in rebellion. How can we provoke our kids to anger? Well, it can be with unreasonable demands. You know, we found that at times, just saying that one thing, go clean your room, can be an overwhelming thing to one of our kids where the other two might feel like it's okay. You know, but don't be unreasonable with your demands. And you might need to figure out what is unreasonable. What's unreasonable for one might not be unreasonable for another. Our kids are unique. And Paul knew that they were special and, and unique creations in and of themselves. And each of them need to be treated accordingly. We could have sarcastic remarks. You know, sarcasm can be funny, but it always cuts. You got to be careful how you use it in speaking to your own kids. Sarcasm, sarcasm is not a very good motivator. We could also provoke our kids by preferring our own wants over their needs. You know, like if you're watching a ball game and the kids are coming and they want you to read with them, you know, and they keep asking you to do things for them, or you've got to get up and help them with a snack. You know, the, the bottom line here is you may have something that you really want to do, and when you have that interrupted and you get mad, that can actually be an impediment to a relationship with your kids. You know this, but we can do that. It's usually by preferring our wants over their needs. And you can have expectations on them that they be something they aren't meant to be. This might be by comparing them to other kids or even their own siblings. This is dangerous stuff. You can have in your own mind how your son or daughter should be. And when they don't live up to your mental expectations or the picture you have in your head, if you are mad at them, you need to check that and recognize that there's something going on in your heart and there's something that is driving you that is not of God. It's not of Christ. We can also do this by mistaking emotional immaturity for rebellion and sin. You know, I, I used to wonder where all this energy for young boys comes from. And if they don't sit still, it must mean that they're rebellious. And No, that's not the case. You can't expect to teach even a one-minute lesson to a three-year-old boy and have him sit still. You know, there's, there's definitely not a call, you know, to heavily discipline very young kids for things that are not sins but emotional immaturities. And we need to learn to distinguish the two. There's more in that than I have time. It's just a category for you to be aware of. And let me just end it by saying this about this point. Whenever you are, wherever you are currently guilty of exasperating your kids, maybe even this morning, whether toddlers or teens or beyond, you can repent of that this morning. And you can be forgiven. You can be cleared of that sin towards your kid. And you may need to go to them and say these three things. What I said to you was wrong when I said this, whatever that was. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Those three steps 
sure are helpful when I go to my kids when I have done them wrong. And hopefully it is helping them to instruct them to do the same toward one another and back toward us. Families are places where we fail, but they are also places where Jesus infuses his hope and gives us a way out of those failures as we continue to trust him. Coupled with this negative is a positive, and it comes in two ways. We're told that we are to discipline our kids. We're to bring them up with discipline and with instruction. Bring them up is a word that means nourish. Just like we learned in Ephesians 5, that a husband nourishes his own body, and he is likewise to nourish his wife. It means like you get up, you take care of yourself. When you're hungry, you eat. When you need something, you get it. You don't think twice about it. Right? You're to have that level of focus and attention on your kids to love them, to take care of them. How are we to do that? With discipline. The word here is paideia. It's a word that means formative instruction, using correction to help them, not punish them, but to help them grow. Listen to these verses from Proverbs about discipline. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. That's one that God has hammered in my own personal life because I don't like to be corrected. Does anyone here like to be corrected? Now, discipline corrects us. It helps us to know where we are wrong. It helps us to get back on the right track. I don't like it, but a wise person recognizes that it's the way to get wiser. Discipline helps us grow. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Kids, I know that your parents sometimes say, don't say stupid. But if the Bible says it, you can read that verse and it's okay. It's saying that somebody who rejects discipline really doesn't have any sense. They're foolish. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I think the point here is not to beat our kids. That is never the point. But the point is to use appropriate discipline to help them to recognize the authority that comes from God, ultimately. Because Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of, of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Let me give a couple of tips about this. Don't discipline when you are angry. I think we know this. But instead of going after your kids when they are yelling at you or screaming at you or throwing a fit, step back and wait a little bit. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He offers helpful counsel when he says, when you are disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the control of temper, is an essential prerequisite in the control of others. It's Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor in England, many couple generations ago. And I would say this, don't discipline unless you are sure your kid has done something wrong. So make it positive. The positive side of this is understand what your kids have done and then discipline, but only when it's needed. 
That means if you've got three kids coming and blaming each other, don't just take them all into another room and apply some discipline to them. It might be that you need to take a step back and ask questions, dig into it. That's going to interfere with your wants at the moment. Nobody wants to deal with discipline issues. But if you calm yourself and you recognize the bigger picture that you are called to help shape them into the next generation of God-fearers, it will help you to pause long enough to apply that in that moment. And I would say this, set discipline expectations together as a husband and wife. Where this is possible, I know that we have some broken families here, and you might have a mom raising kids or a dad raising kids by themselves. But where you can, set discipline expectations together as a husband and wife, and don't correct or counter one another in front of the kids. If you've got a difference in how you approach and apply discipline, don't talk it over in front of the kids, but find a different place to talk it over before you go back and try to apply and approach again. I think that would help you. And coupled with discipline, I've got to wrap up, is the instruction of the Lord. When I thought about this topic and what it is we're to do, I thought about how Christian mom blogs and Instagram accounts abound. I have learned this from my wife over the years. Whereas I've got pastor blogs that make it seem like if I just tweak one thing or add in this other, then I'll have all my pastoral problems sorted. My wife has communicated that there are moms that are just doling out advice all over the internet. Now, what makes us laugh is that these moms who have everything organized and claim that all their kids are saved, well, really, their kids oftentimes are still toddlers. And we're just hoping that success over time is something that we can learn from people who have gone through these steps and have gone through these experiences and don't necessarily have a program for us but have grace to speak to us. And that's really the key of the instruction of the Lord. It's speaking grace to our kids. I would say it's making church a priority. One thing is just simply showing up here, listening to the sermon, and then being prepared to talk about it at home. Maybe talk about one thing that stood out to you, one thing that you've learned as a family. Or even just short of having family devotions every day, that's not a command in the Bible, just talking about the Lord. It may be a simple word. Man, God's given us a beautiful day. God is so good to our family. God loves us. These words are life-giving. And I would say it's important that we prioritize life together at church. And I would say instructing kids means getting ready for lots of questions. Our kids will come to us with questions about why the neighbors do things differently than our families do. Why the neighbors do certain things that we don't do. How we as a family, you know, find a reason for what we do. I think what we can do in this experience is just like in Deuteronomy 6 when the parents would talk to their kids along the way when they lie down, when they sleep, when they get up, when they walk, is to encourage them to know how good God is. You know, this is including even the news that we hear every day. It's, it's talking through things. It's getting the news in perspective of a God who's in control. They hear all the things that they hear when they leave our home or play with their friends, 
But when they're with us, do they know that we know God who loves us and that we encourage them to see God at work everywhere in the world? And finally, delight in the gospel and so make Christ attractive to your kids. Do your kids know that Jesus has saved you? Do your kids know that he loves you? Do you take time to remind them of how good it is to be forgiven of our sins? How gracious Jesus has been to you to love you? What we're doing with our kids is not helping them to prepare just to know all the answers. What we want to do is influence them to know the graciousness of our Lord. Friends, I think a a simple way for us to respond, like we did in the, the sermon on marriage, is to have a minute or two to pray. Maybe you need to pray for your family. Maybe you need to confess some sins that you've done against your kids before you go pick them up in kids' club or the nursery. Maybe you need to pray for your kids, that they would be able to obey and honor you, and that the Lord would take control and work that out in them this week. Daniel, Amy, would you guys, whoever's coming up, would you come up, maybe provide just a little bit of background, and then we'll close with how deep the Father's love for us, maybe a verse or two of that in a minute. As they play some background music, turn this into a moment or two of prayer and ask the Lord to work. And I'll come up and pray before our last song.